Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I'm Tara Bowen Biggs, joined as always by Blazer's outsider, Danny Meringue. Danny, well, how's it going tonight? I'm doing good. We're recording this in the uh, middle of the NCAA championship game or the end of the title game on the back heels of the Hoop Summit. So it's all basketball all the time right now. Right on. And because there is so much basketball going on right now, we brought in a third to join us tonight. Steve DeWald is here. Steve, how you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on. Writer and editor at Blazer's Edge. And you are someone who has done a lot of work over the last couple of years writing about some of the younger players coming into the NBA, including draft stuff. And both you guys were at the Hoop Summit tonight. So I think at some point we're probably going to touch briefly on some of that. But first, the Blazers only have two games left in the season. How did we get here? Uh, Is it only two? Does I'm not it, counting anymore. Doesn't it feel like it just started yesterday? Absolutely. I remember my my co-host Joe Simon saying, I think when he first started counting, we had 56 games remaining, and I wanted to punch him for it. <laughs> it now, just seemed like it was <laughs> coming so close. It was like, are you kidding me? 56? Okay. Um, now we're, we're down to two, and it's it's a little, little bit weird. Um, I think everybody is still wrapped up in like two different modes of – fandom i guess like the one that you wrote all season where this team was looking like a 50 win team and looking like they're gonna do something in the playoffs to the cj's injured nurks out what do we do now like trying to juxtapose and and balance like two totally different sets of emotions Mm -hmm. so late in the season it's really been a roller coaster it feels weird realistically it just it feels weird because i don't like on the one hand i i throw up my hands and go hey whatever they do in the playoffs this year is great and then when somebody like really gets me going on on a playoff matchup i'm like yeah sure i I could see them winning a series if literally everything went their way and dame went super new like i I get a little optimistic again and then i start (laughs) thinking about like all of the terrible things that have happened and i'm just like never mind i take it all back we'll get to that We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Steve, I want to know how does this feel like uh, extra short, extra long, extra roller coastery? How has this season kind of arc felt to you? Hey, this season's definitely been an adventure for me. I mean, I, I started out, you know, if you if you follow me on Twitter, you kind of followed my journey. But, you know, I, I had stops at USA Today this year and, you know, it was just I'm still kind of a new dad. So just kind of, it's all just kind of turned into a blur and then. You know, you settle into the Blazer season, and then, like, like Dan said, it's like this season has been such a roller coaster. And it's like being there on Blazers Edge night, where you know we're all there. Or Dan was in studio, but just to be there is just—I I don't know—I'm still emotionally taxed from it. Like, I, I think I'm starting to—I can talk myself into optimism, but it's still—it's been—it's been a taxing end of the season. But at the end of the day. It's still a 50 win season and that that's something to be proud of and and that really speaks to to the leadership of Damian Lillard and and the leadership from from coach Stotts. 
Right. Yeah. When all is said and done, the Blazers will have won more than 50 wins. And I'm pretty sure that none of the three of us predicted that. No, I, I mean, I had them, I took the under on them just to kind of take a stance on them, but I realistically thought at, at best case scenario, because I figured there would be a few nicks and bruises along the way. They'd be a 46 at, to 48 win team. Like I just, like that was best case scenario. And, and for them to really eclipse 50 pretty simply was a, at bare minimum surprising. What did you think at the beginning of the season, Steve? Did you, do you remember what number you were kind of? I, I think I had. I think I had a repeat of 48 wins. And me and Isaiah had a post where we kind of did a rough forecast where we kind of try to decide, hey, this is the easy part of the schedule and this is the tough part of the schedule, which, you know, little did we know, like Anthony Davis was going to completely implode the Lakers and the Pelicans. And and so, you know, all that is goofy and kind of changes. But I I think we had it at 48 wins, which at the end of the day to be two wins off or uh, right now two wins off hopefully we're on four wins off when it's all said and done but uh i i i expected more of a repeat of last year I, this the thing and me and dan talked about it a little bit earlier today and we tried not tried to save some for the podcast is when you have a guy like damian lillard on your team in the regular season especially you know coach Stoss talks about taking advantage of teams that are packing it in before the all-star break and then teams that are obviously kind of shutting it down that are out of the playoff picture at the end of the year. When you have a guy like Damian Lillard on your team, you win those games mm-hmm. and he's just not going to let, he's not going to, they're not going to drop stupid games. And, it, and when they do, it's surprising. I mean, it happens. It happens to every NBA team, but I, I think Portland, as long as they have Lillard and he's, you know, has a relatively good cast around him. I think you're, you're in the mix for a 45 win season, if not more. You talked about the, you know, looking at the schedule kind of holistically, there were rough parts, there were easier parts. Fortunately for the Blazers, with the two injuries that they um, suffered late in the season between Nurkic and CJ McCollum, fortunately, it happened in a part of the season that did lighten up. And boy, are they, uh, I uh, boy, am I glad <laughs> that if that had to happen, um, the Blazers did have a little bit of break in the schedule. Um, so the last two we- the last two games that they play are against two non-playoff teams, the Lakers and the Kings. And those two games, even though they're non-playoff teams, there's still a lot of jockeying going on. We probably don't need to break it down to- because – things will all change on Tuesday night. Like pretty much a ton of games are really important games are happening on Tuesday night. Um, It looks like the Blazers are going to be playing most likely the Utah jazz, but we should probably touch super briefly on the other possibilities. It looks like the other possibilities might be OKC. Is there any other chance that they would play any other team? There's a, like minuscule chance that they could get either the Clippers or the Spurs. Okay. So they could get, so the, the, the most likely scenarios jazz, and then quite a ways away goes the um, OKC. Thunder, and then yep. The, okay. So how do you guys want to talk about it? Should we just spend the time talking about the Jazz or should we touch on some of the <laughs> – Realistically, um, the Jazz is the one we should be talking about because yeah. at, at, at last check, it was like 97% chance. Yeah. The Blazers are treating this as they're playing the Jazz. Like they're, they're, they're gearing up and they're game planning for the Jazz right now. Um, realistically – I think when the Blazers look at the schedule, if they beat the Lakers tomorrow and they go into that game knowing the fourth seed is theirs against the Kings, 
Damian Lillard said it last night, and this is the first time I've ever heard him say it. I'd like the rest. Yeah. I could use the rest. That's I think that's a sign of maturity for Lillard. Um, but I mean, realistic because like the rest of us. Yeah, no, I, I think I think it is. It's it's because you have to pry him off the floor. Yeah. But if he can, if he realizes like what not playing a game that really doesn't matter could mean for his body, where he can just spend the day getting treatment, he can rest. He's not you know putting in a couple miles in the body. Like that's a big big deal. Um, that that Denver game in Denver, Dame was entirely gassed mm-hmm. him getting a day off would be great. Cause it ends up probably being probably five days off because if it's blazers jazz, that's a series nobody cares about outside of those markets, which means we'll probably see it Sunday night, right in the middle of game of Thrones. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so those Denver matchups, one of the things that I think we may be able to take away from, I don't know. Can we take anything away from the Denver matchups? Cause I was kind of going to watch for how things change from one game to the next but the thing that changed the most was Denver's roster. <laughs> yeah. So there's probably not a lot. But I th- I did think that in Denver, Damien's arms looked very, very tired. Um, and he looked like he was having a, a better night, not battling the fatigue. Maybe it was elevation. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so – in the Denver games, the uh, we had the Al Farouk Aminu game on Sunday night. This is that's like the second Al Farouk Aminu game this season. I think we had another one earlier in the season where he just went and <laughs> far exceeded everybody's expectations. It was very fun, and I would be remiss if I did not bring it up. But let's turn and talk to the Jazz. So I don't know about you guys, but I'm already totally sick of the Utah Jazz. (laughs) I'm tired of how everyone thinks that the Blazers should – not everyone, but I'm tired of the people who keep talking about how the Blazers should have taken Donovan Mitchell. I'm tired of (laughs) jumping around all over the place, pointing fingers and, you know, hitting every shot. I'm tired of Grayson Allen, period. I'm tired of Rudy Gobert just being tall and (laughs) stately and handsome and just everything. I'm tired of the Utah Jazz. How about you guys? How are you feeling about the matchup? I mean, for me at least, this is a team that I like, that I enjoy. I think they're they 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 have a little bit of chip on their shoulder to them, and yeah, of course I do because I mean Mitchell's my guy. Like outside of the Blazers, the guy that I probably follow most closely is Donovan Mitchell. Um, he's, he's a player I enjoy tremendously, and he started off the season horribly. Post All Star break, he's been Damian Lillard. He's 26 points, five assists, five rebounds, shooting 46 from the field, 44 from three, and 83 from the line. Like, that's that's terrifying. That Your one advantage, so to speak, as the Trailblazers is that you have Damian Lillard. Like, it, it, it's like Tony Stark. We have a Hulk. The Blazers can be like, we have a Damian Lillard. Now, all of a sudden, the Jazz are like, well, we, we've, we've, got a, we've got a pretty comparable one. Now this this is let's take the intangibles away that 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 Lillard has. I'm talking about purely the basketball impact. Donovan Mitchell has been that for them post All Star break. He has been phenomenal. The two guys that probably talked about the least are Ingles and Gobert. It's it's it gets pretty wild pretty quickly. Steve, how about you? How are you looking forward? How much are you looking forward to this matchup? I, I think one thing that I mean, Dan's spot on. I mean, I, granted, we've been living in in Dan talking about Donovan Mitchell world for a few years now, but <laughs> I, uh, I, I mean, I, I'm not innocent. I, I wanted 
I wanted Malik Monk at 10, which looks terrible now. <laughs> so, um, so I'm not, I'm going to just recuse myself from that conversation. But, but I think one thing, like, look, look, I'm grasping for positives here. You have a few redemption stories here. You have Rodney Hood, who the Jazz, you know, cut bait on, and, you know, he went to, to Cleveland. You have Ennis Cantor, you know, another guy that is a, is a Utah exile. Uh, I, I think those two guys will want to play well against their former team. The other thing, too, is, you know, we talked about the Blazers having a relatively soft schedule to end the season. I mean, they've dealt with a lot of adversity. You have a Jazz team who, you know, they have, you know, Ricky Rubio, Kyle Korver, Derek Favors have been on the injury report recently. But, you know, they're all minor injuries. Those guys are going to be fine. Have you they guys played, looked at the teams that they played over the yeah, last that, 15 that's, games? That's, that's what I'm getting to is <laughs> they've played an incredibly soft schedule. Incredibly. And, they played the Phoenix Suns twice. They've played the Washington Wizards a couple times. They've played the Bulls, the Hawks, the Knicks. I mean, they've had a great record in the over the last, you know, 15 games, but it's been yeah, incredibly I, easy. <laughs> To be fair, the Blazers uh, haven't been playing world beaters either. Well, no. no. Yeah, no, no, but no. they but but like I said, they've been dealing with a lot more adversity than the True. Jazz have. And and the thing too, the, the, so back to reality, I think I think that soft schedule definitely inflates the Jazz's defensive rating, which they have the top defensive rating in the NBA post All Star break. I, but I think what it doesn't inflate is in the best case scenario, Portland finds a way somehow to neutralize Donovan Minnick. Donovan Mitchell and tries to slow down Rudy Gobert. But the problem is it, it all comes down to Joe Ingles for me. And I know you, <laughs> you mentioned earlier that you're sick of hearing about him, but he is, he leads the jazz in assists per game post all-star break. He's averaging seven and a half assists per games. The guy is a facilitator, a knockdown shooter. He can dictate that entire offense and allow all those other guys to move. He allows Mitchell to move off the ball. He can get in pick and rolls with Rudy Gobert. Like there's there's so much he does, and he's and he's a lockdown defender. I just don't know how Portland answers that question. Yes, you have Maurice Harkless and Alfred Camino on the wings, but you're probably going to be you're going to need probably Harkless for one of the two perimeter guys for the Jazz. You're probably going to see those guys at least pay some attention to Donovan Mitchell. So that that's the real. I, I mean, it all comes down to to the Aussie for me, but I, I think. Like I said, I think Cantor and Hood are, are X factors for Portland because I think both those guys are playing for a contract and both of those guys are playing revenge games against a team that, you know, that, that got rid of them. So what does that look like? What does Hood playing – so lately we've seen Hood uh, really turn it on. He took him a little little while to get comfortable, but he seems to be hitting more shots. He um, seems to be even getting other players involved. One of the things that I've noticed over the last several games are some surprising plays that I hadn't seen before. Like we had the Hood to um, – was that Hood to Collins alley-oop last night? Was that Hood who had that? Uh Dan, you I remember? I can't remember. I can't remember if it was Evan or if it was Hood. Yeah, I'm, I'm struggling to remember at this point. The, well, there's been some other uh, other plays. Chief had a pick and roll the other night. I mean, he's dunking with his left hand. Their players have been doing other things. So, do you think that once the playoffs start, we're going to see the same, you know, flare routes? Um, 
you know, pick and roll, but with Cantor instead of Nurkic, are we going to see, see the same things that the Blazers have done all year? Or are we going to start th- seeing some new offensive sets? I guess let's talk offensively. What do you think? I mean, the sets are going to stay the same. There's just going to be wrinkles and counters and setups and fakes and things of that nature. But the offense is going to be the same. Um, I don't know if necessarily you want to start experimenting with chief pick and rolls in the playoffs. Um, <laughs> I saw one the other night, I swear. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, the, the, he has moments where he's just feeling himself and he makes, he had a, a right to left, a little hezzy, and then a drive-by and dunk the other night. And yeah, it's cool. He did it once in a game. I, it's, I don't want to build my offense around that. Um, Cantor's still learning the entirety of the playbook. Like, I mean, there's there's a lot of things where I think they have to kind of keep it vanilla. And they'll 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 mix in something a little spicy when they can, but uh, be, because of the Nurkic injury, because we don't know how many minutes or how much consistency we'll get out of CJ, I think it's going to be bread and butter pretty much the entire time on offense. And it's it's a matter of this is what we're going to do. Let's see if you can stop it. So the Blazers didn't have CJ for ten games, and then he came back. Steve, what were your observations about how the Blazers played once uh, CJ was back? Well, I think just seeing him get into rhythm and and move off the ball is huge. I mean, he had he had a couple drives, and I think there was one drive where he, he I can't I think it was in the third quarter yesterday where he took a lot of contact and went to the deck, and I was kind of like, oh, I kind of just wish we'd rested him until the playoffs. <laughs> but but re- I just want to backtrack just a little bit about the offense. Yes, I think they're they're going to rely on a lot of the vanilla stuff they've been trying to do. But the Quinn Snyder is an excellent coach. The Jazz are a great defensive team, regardless of how soft their schedule was. They're going to take away parts of Portland's offense. Oh, 100%. And this is, and this is where, you know, I mentioned Rodney Hood, and I think for the first time in a few years, there's a guy, not Damian Lillard or C.J. McCollum, that I actually feel comfortable with, with a guy who can catch the ball and either shoot or put the ball on the deck, find somebody else, or create his own shot off the dribble. Portland just has not had that in a wing player outside of out of CJ and Dame in the last couple of years and in the playoffs. And that's what teams have done to the Blazers is they dare the the role players to beat them. And I think Rodney Hood is a guy offensively. He's just got to hold his own on defensively, but offensively, I think Rodney Hood is, is a huge X factor going into this series. And how about Seth Curry? Uh, do you think that he also kind of take, could carry that X factor um, badge, I guess? <laughs> I, I just like I think there's a there's a world where you can have Dame CJ and Rodney all on the court at the same time. I don't think there's a spot in the series against the Jazz where you could have Dame CJ and Seth all on the court. I don't want to see that. Yeah, I don't want to see. It. I mean, Seth's I Seth could be an X factor if he's you know the safety valve, and but the Jazz have the length to guard him off the dribble and and they'll they'll be able to pay attention to him on the perimeter if he's just out there with one of Portland's two regular backcourts guards. So the thing about the Jazz is literally their entire roster save Kyle Corver defends. Like that's that's the reality of it. Like you go up and down. Like even the guys that are, are injured and haven't had or seen a ton of time, they all defend too. I mean it's it's nuts. So mm-hmm. So what's their greatest weakness? What should Portland just really try to attack? Defensively, there really isn't one. Um, 
they, they've got a bunch of guys on their team in, in Rubio and Corver and Mitchell Crowder Ingles. I mean, they could, they can actually do something with and without the ball. That's what makes this team such a good team. Um, if you're going to try to attack them, get them out of, you know, pick and roll action with Mitchell or Gobert or Gobert and, uh, and, and Ingles. But, they just they have a lot of counters. It's, it's a it's it's like Denver in the sense that they have a lot of talent on the team. They're very deep and they can beat you in a lot of different ways. Um, I I think one of the things that that I do like about I mean like Dan said, there's not a lot of weaknesses, glaring weaknesses. There's not a lot of huge strengths either outside of just their defensive mm-hmm. competency. But what I do like is I think you're gonna dare who's ever playing power forward to beat you. And that could that could allow Al Farouk Aminu to do a lot of things on defense because whether it's Derek Favors or Jay Crowder, like Crowder's having a down year shooting from outside. So it's like if he wants to take outside shots, you let him. If Jay Crowder beats you from outside, you know, that's just the way it is. And I don't think Derek Favors has, you know, he he doesn't work on the floor with Rudy Gobert. I mean, that's something that Utah's experimented with over and over again. They just can't get it to work offensively. So so I think the key will be just to to find ways to to let Al Farukamino be aggressive on defense, which I know that is in Portland's system, but you, you know, you might have to to reach into the bag of tricks here in the in the first round. Snyder's a hell of a coach and he's going to have wrinkles and he's going to have variations and he's going to have things of his sleeve all series long. He's going to make in-game adjustments. He's going to fake some things. He's hell, I wouldn't be surprised in the least bit if just to screw with Portland, he just threw in like a junk zone just to, just to overload the floor to Damian Lord and make Dame have to think about one other thing between possession and possessions. Junk, what do you mean by a junk zone? Uh, matchup zone. It's just it's just a style zone you can throw out there and you can overload the floor because you don't really see two threes in in this league. You you, you can't do that Didn't, in this league. <laughs> who was the team that did it to Portland? Not it was Memphis. Ago. Memphis were in the Memphis. matchup zone. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. it it drove them nuts. Like they, their inability to attack it. And, when, and that's not necessarily a criticism of Portland. Nobody runs it. I mean. I joked on Twitter that they should put in Simons and Trent Jr. because you know they probably have some experience against this defense recently because um, it's it's a college thing. I mean, you you see that kind of stuff um, not on a professional level, and that's and that's just a, you know another a point to where they're still integrating a guy like Cantor to where when even it, throwing a subtle wrinkle in like that of not completely in a fleshed out defense that mm-hmm. that just throws a wrench right into the works for a guy who's trying to learn. Portland's offense against a traditional defense. So there's a couple of, you know, key new players who are going to have really heavy responsibilities going into a very tough playoff matchup. So when you look at Cantor, you look at Hood, like, what do you think their assignments are going to be? Like, just do these, Cantor, just do these three things. Or, uh, you know, Hood, just make sure you do these three things. What are the assignments for those guys look like? Cantor's is the, is the one that's the most burdensome. I mean, not only asking him to try to replace Nurkic defensively, but offensively too. And defensively is going to be the biggest problem. The, what the thing that scares me, I think, the most about this Utah series. I know I've harped on Mitchell, but it's not just Mitchell. It's Mitchell and Gobert. Cantor over the last couple of weeks has looked better on defense than I think a lot of people were willing to give him credit for. He's still not great, but he's a willing worker. The problem is, is when you get a guy like Gobert, who's arguably the best rim runner in basketball right now, I mean, it's between you know him, Capella, and, and, and Jared Allen, 
it's that that's difficult to deal with. But when you throw in the athleticism, the speed, the willingness to just drive down your throat in Donovan Mitchell, it puts so much pressure on you because of how explosive and athletic he is. The only other combination that you can see like this that is just that murdersome with the speed and athleticism is Westbrook and, and Steven Adams. And that's that's the biggest problem for me is that you're going to ask Cantor to come above the free throw line to try to blow this pick and roll up. Otherwise, Portland has to do a lot of weird things. A guy like Aminu, when you're talking about making Crowder beat you, has got to overload that side of the floor and and look to take, you know, angles and lanes away and help early. And what that does is that puts Portland in a rotation early in a possession. And I think that's going to be a really, really difficult thing just based on what I've seen from Cantor, not just here, but over his career. So what you're saying, I think, is with all of the pick and roll that we're expecting to see from the Utah Jazz, Cantor will have to come up to try to match up with Gobert, and then he'll also have to roll with him. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. The the rule of thumb is when you come above that free throw line and you get put in that pick and roll coverage of the big, his hips can't get past yours. So if your hips are are, are parallel to the baseline – the, the the offensive player's hips can't get behind yours because at that point you're beat. And so who is who does it, who do the Blazers have hanging back to, um, you know, cover that route all the way to the hoop when Cantor gets beat? You're hoping it's Aminu who can hope and tag. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's why Gobert's been so good this year. We were, we were talking before the pod. Gobert's in the 93rd percentile as the role man. He is absolutely undescribably vicious as a finisher on either the lob little drop pass. Like his field goal percentage is through the roof. How can you take away the pick and roll before it even gets started? Is there any way to do that? I mean, yeah, I mean yeah, take this one, Steve. <laughs> I mean, you can basically do what, what the Clippers did to, to the Blazers yep. in, in what 15 or 16. Yeah. Anyway, when they, before, before Chris Paul was hurt, before Blake Griffin was out, I mean, what, what, the Clippers were doing is you just you're you hedge hard off that screen, so you're coming over the top and you're just attacking the ball handler. You're trapping the ball handler, and you know it, if it you're gets push them to the sideline. Yep, yeah, and you're going to filter them away from the center of the court. Do so. you do you double team the ball handler, or can one person do it by themselves? I mean, if you're a guy like Paul George, you can take away entire passing lanes, and this is what makes defending somebody like Jokic. So damned impossible. I heard a lot of people talking about in that first match or the last match we just had in Denver about why don't you double team Jokic out of the three point line? Because, you know, you can't you to help there and take away. It's like when you're seven foot tall and you're a passing savant, you can see over guys. Yeah, that, that's the problem with Dame and CJ sometimes in the backcourt is you get six, seven, six, eight, seven foot guys that are, come over the top to take away those passing lanes, those passing angles, that mm-hmm. the line of sight. Um, well, and. And also, I mean, on the defensive side too. I mean, if you're going to throw two guys at it and you do that hard hedge, if you have a, a big guy that can recover quickly, like a guy like Anthony Davis is the poster child for this, where he can come over the top of a screen, hedge hard, show himself to the ball handler, and still has the speed, length, and athleticism to catch that roll man and block a shot, even if that ball gets to him in the paint. Like, and and, it, and if you're not stopping it just solo on the pass, that's that's how you do it with two men and still cover it. And the problem for the Blazers here in, in even the best case scenarios is that they're often going to have their best probably defender in Yusuf Nurkic in his least effective area 
and they're going to have one of the Blazers' two worst defenders probably in Lillard and McCollum at the point of attack 35 feet from rim. You said Nurkic. Yeah, no, I said I said that even in the best of circumstances. That's oh, what I'm okay. saying. That That's what I'm saying about putting Cantor in this position is you're asking him to do something that is, I think, a, a little bit unfair to ask a seven-foot, 300-pound dude to cover a guy like Donovan Mitchell, who's arguably one of the most athletic people on the planet, in space with a five-step head start. So and then you, and then tag Gobert on the way back. So what you're saying is Cantor's assignment is to score. Yes, Make, <laughs> that, that, score, that, that, score, and create second chance points. Yeah. So it, it's the, the long way around is he's probably going to get eviscerated on that, on that end, and like that's not even a, like a shot at him. That's just the nature of what this is probably going to end up looking like. But on the other end. If he can go have these 2015 games and make Gobert's presence on that other end a wash, that's probably about as good as we're going to get. That's what they went out and got him for, right? Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it's to make up for where the you know deficiencies they have in the roster, where they're not getting those easy points from the wings. Well, now they're getting easy points from their backup big, who can take every other backup big you know on the league and, and dump them down on the block. So what is Cantor's assignment on offense then? I mean, obviously it's score, but how does he do it around, again, big, tall, um, stalwart defender, Rudy Gobert? (laughs) I mean, this is where those pump fakes come in handy. Uh And Damian Lillard's got to be Johnny on the spot with the bounce passes, with the the, the lead passes. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things they can do. And, and the plays might not be drawn up for Cantor specifically. Like what Cantor has to do is if when Lillard gets inside and Gobert goes over to block those shots, if it doesn't go in, Cantor has to mm-hmm. get those those rebounds and finish. And so you're, you're looking at second chance points are going to be huge for the Blazers in a series against the Jazz. Okay, so turning to the other uh, person I asked about, Steve, maybe you want to start because you talked about him a little bit earlier. What is Hood's assignment? I mean, defensively, it's it's probably you're going to he's probably going to see time against Donovan Mitchell, and then he's going to have to try to to stay disciplined against Joe Ingles. I guess who, he goes. Wait, I just realized because now that CJ's back, Hood comes off the bench. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but, but I think I think I wouldn't be surprised if Portland needs offense if he's if he's on the court when it when it matters. Right, and dude, also to his familiarity with that Jazz team. Yeah, I mean, he's basically going to be playing against the guy who kind of took his job. Uh-huh. So, so I, yeah. it, uh, I mean, defensively, that's that's you're just looking for him to stay in front of his guy, not get out of position offensively. Like I said, when the pressure's on Portland uh, on their ball handlers, it's going to be up to him to when those possessions break down for him to be able to create for himself and maybe find somebody at the last seconds of a shot clock on offense. But I, like I, I said earlier, he's one of the only guys Portland's had in the playoffs outside of CJ and Dame who I feel comfortable with putting the ball on the floor, creating his own shot, and I, I just feel like good things tend to happen when he when he gets in his rhythm, even if it's a mid range shot and, you know, not necessarily an analytics friendly shot. It seems to go in for him. <laughs> but Blazers have been, you know, pretty sweet from the mid range this year. They're getting a lot of points from there. 
Uh, <sighs> I know, Tara, you, you want us to find something here that we can talk about. That is a positive kind of look ahead towards you are a matchup. Me, that's for sure. The, the thing <laughs> is, like, and I'm I'm not saying this is like a, some kind of like defeatist mentality. I, I'm at the point where I expect nothing in the playoffs. Like, and anything that they get, whether it be a game or a series, is is like is more than I expect. Well, that's not true. I expect them to to have all the energy in the world in their first home game, and I think they'll win that game. But I just I don't I don't look at this and go, you know what? This is a team that has expectations, and those expectations haven't changed. They they've changed drastically for me, mm-hmm. and so well, it's, I it's still just like know what they can do. Yeah, well, no, and you need to have all. I think realistically, and correct me if, I, if you think I'm wrong here, Steve. You need to have more than like just a thing or two go your way. Like you have to have nearly all the stars aligned to win a series. And I think there's, I, I'm not naive about Portland's chances anymore because in the past I'd say you know okay CJ's coming off injury, Nurkic is out, but we still have the best player in the series. By by I, I feel I mean Donovan Mitchell is going to be there someday, but I still feel like it's Damian Lillard by a wide margin in this series. Mm-hmm. And but the problem is, is I've seen what playoff defenses can do to Damian Lillard when he's the only guy, and that's what scares me. And like like my point of optimism at the end of the day, yes, I can talk about Hood as a potential X factor and Cantor and Hood both having chips on their shoulders. But at the end of the day, like the biggest thing working in Portland's favor is they have Damian Lillard the Blazers have the best player in this series, potentially this potential series. But, you know, I still remember like it was yesterday, the Pelican series. I mean, <laughs> we, like, and that was, and then even really the first, and I mentioned earlier, the first couple games of that Clippers series, like those games, they took Lillard completely out of the equation. So if they run, that was going to be kind of my last thing about what can the Blazers do is when they double team Damien, what do the Blazers do? Because everybody should do that. I mean, but I mean, you did say we do have role players who are doing more this year. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that things haven't changed for the Blazers, but I also want, I don't want to just write it off and say they're done because you know, the Damien Lillard isn't writing them off and saying that they're done. So when they throw two guys at Damian Lillard, what do the rest of the players do? I mean, you look at look back at, at the Pelican series last year, and yeah, Dame definitely made, would like to have some of that back as far as his own decision making and forcing shots. But I mean, nobody showed up. Nobody showed up and hit open shots when they needed them to. And I mean, realistically, they they have a couple shots go their way in games one and games two, where we're we're looking at a very different series last year and that's been the same pretty much post LaMarcus era. Nobody's shown up. I mean, you could say it's CJ. Yeah. I mean, he, he's, he's going to, because God help if, if Damon see Dame is seeing that much coverage and CJ's better have a field day, but teams are content to let CJ have his take Dame away and live with everybody else. And while living with everybody else may be tougher for an opponent this year, I don't think the, the, the pecking order has changed enough with, with the injury, um, to skew that away from it's just slightly less irritating. That, that's kind of how I see it. And I, I mean, piggybacking on that a little bit, I mean, it's just you got to have guys from the corner. You have to have Al Farouk Aminu hit his open shots. You have to have Maurice Harkless hit shots. And then really, I mean, I'd be interested to see if they can work Evan Turner in, I mean, as a ball handler and let you know Lillard operate away from the ball. 
I mean, that's what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to try to mitigate it that way. And you're going to have to make the, the goal is to make the jazz play honest defense, but Portland has to hit a ton of shots for that to happen. And it's not going to happen just in one game. And this is why I think home court is so huge for them. And which I, I think it would be a catastrophe if they didn't lock it up at this point. But your role players always, you know, it's an NBA thing. They always shoot, your role players always shoot better at home. And I think that's a big thing working in Portland's favor if that's how they're going to find their way out of this series is your, your, your guys, you need to make shots. Your periphery guys have to make their open shots. They have to make their three-pointers. So what do you guys consider, what would you guys consider success for the team at this point? Uh, for me, it's pretty simple. Get through the playoffs healthy. Like that's realistically like um, the bar for me is very, very low right now. Um, so they get swept, but nobody gets injured in your, I, with that? I, I'm writing this, these playoffs off. It's, it, it's, it's, this season has a big asterisk on it. It was like, yeah, they did some good things, but the culmination of it really didn't matter in the long term because of a absolutely disgusting injury. Um, it would be vastly different for me. It would be second round or bust, um, bare minimum expectations. Um, so uh, realistically, I think they get a game, maybe even two. Um, if they win a series against the Jazz, my first reaction was like, if you, if you, somebody from the future came and told me that the Blazers beat the Jazz in the first round, I would be more inclined to believe that the Jazz lost the series than, than the Blazers won it. Um, just as things currently sit. And I know a bunch of people are probably, you know, oh my God, are you kidding me? Give the Blazers their credit. I just, I, I look at what's ev- everything available on the table and that would be my first thought. So I would appreciate it. I would be in very thankful and I would enjoy the hell out of it, but I don't think anything more than two wins is really the base or the, the level of belief that I have right now. Okay. Well, thank you for your honesty. On that one. <laughs> Steve, I mean, it is what it is. What for you would be a success at this point, given all of the circumstances. I, I mean, obviously, ending the playoff losing streak is huge. I would like to see them, you know, at least win two games, at least make this a competitive series. And that's that's that would have been a failure to me a few weeks ago, but you know, now that I think a very competitive series, but. I, I'm really not – I'm not as down as, on them. I mean, Dan's being incredibly realistic on this as bar, with the injuries that happened, but I feel like this roster is just as talented as the roster that made it to the second round the last time post-LaMarcus. Now, granted, the Blazers got a ton of help with injuries on the Clippers, but it still took a team that was you know down two games in a series to rally back and win in four. And, you know, the playoffs, anything can happen. You know, Alfred Camino can have a 20-point game. Damian Lillard can put the team on his back in a game. C.J. McCollum can put the team on his back in a game. I mean, that's that's three games right there if, if that goes that way. I would like to see at least a seven-game series. And I'd like to see, you know, Lillard really kind of take back some, like Dan said, really kind of avenge some of his performances from last year. And and have a have a strong series and have a strong showing on the on the national stage. Yeah, because if you <clears throat> that's a that's a point that, that's a point that I would like to see too. That the last one on Lillard in that 
Dame does not have a playoff legacy outside of point nine. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. That shot was incredible. It was amazing. But Dame's playoff statistics are not good. Like they're for a, a guy of his stature. And it's a tall ask. And that's the thing I, I think that I, I think with anything more than two games or a competitive series is that I don't think it's a fair ask. And that's that's a little bit foreign to me. You, know, you like mean knowing, to ask them, him to lead the team to more than two wins? You don't think? Yeah, or, or or to be a um, – to get his field goal percentage up, to be more impactful on the box score. That seems like – that seems unfair to ask of him considering the situation and considering the matchup. Like if this was the – I'll put it this way so everybody doesn't think I just hate this team. <laughs> if this was a matchup against the Clippers, I would be much more inclined to – say that the Blazers have a chance because I think I see a, a pathway to success against a team. It's not going to murder you with the one thing that you're, you're is most exposed right now, which is the pick and roll and attacking the rim. Um, but with Utah, they're designed to eat you alive at the rim, put you in pick and rolls and make your defense rotate. So I just, I, I think it's too much to ask in this particular matchup to be anything more than what, they currently are like i'm not asking for like a disney you know hallmark ending just you just compete disney and hallmark like those are a bad thing dan no i'm saying that like like, like they're not this isn't that though it's, I, i'm not asking for that i'm asking for them to, to get through it healthy and to compete which is weird for me it's, it's a foreign thing for me because we, we've talked about this on the podcast plenty of times before the difference between you know win or nothing and just enjoying the ride. Like this is the first time in a very, very long time that I'm just team enjoy the ride. You're just going to enjoy this ride. I'm going to hold you to that. And I'm going to yeah. ask you how mm-hmm. that goes <laughs> in a few more weeks. I don't know. In my opinion. So the Blazers are not as good a team as they were a month ago, but I think they were a better team than they were last year at this time. So yeah. I think it's fair. You know, I just, I'm not ready to write them off yet. I, I don't think that. Is there have, a point to what you could really get to where you would though? Realistically, right, right? Where you would write them off? Well, you know, if they hadn't. <laughs> Let's not know. We're not going here. This is too dark. Why are you laughing at me? It's the darkest timeline. Steve knew exactly where I was going don't, with it. Dude, I don't care. You would never give up on this team. I don't ever want to hear it. That's like someone telling me the truth about Santa Claus. <laughs> of course I wouldn't give up on this team, but you guys are like, I'm realistic. Like, you know, somebody asked me the other day, like they were afraid to talk about the fact that Alpha Rukaminu might not return to the team. Like I couldn't handle it or something. So it's not like I am unrealistic about this. I'm just relentlessly optimistic. And I'm just I, what I'm saying. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, I, I know you would judge the team from, by what's out there, and so I'm saying you. I'm not saying that you're just going to be optimism all the time. What I'm saying is, I don't want to go any darker than we have already gone. <laughs> so, so okay. that's where that's where that's what I'm saying. <laughs> don't want to go any darker than we've already gone. What do you guys think about Davy and Lillard getting a warning for flopping? <laughs> Okay. That was so ridiculous. Okay, so I have to I have to say this. I uh was watching the control room and I lost my mind at first look. I thought Mason was uh was pissed off at the ref for all the wrong reasons, and I had to quickly apologize to everybody I scared the living crap out of in the control room 
and to and to Wait, Mason. Were you talking about? You were mad about what? I, I thought Mason had was was mad that he uh, he got caught pushing Damian Lillard because I had watched I'd watched it live in the corner of my eye and I saw Mace put his two hands on him. So in my mind, the assumption was that he gave him an actual so push. So you thought Mason really gave him a big old shove? Yeah. So I'm, I I I lost it because I'm like, what are you doing? How dare you? And then we queued it up in the control room and watched it back, and I went, oh, he didn't touch him. <laughs> <laughs> I think he touched him. Yeah, um, but, but I think Dame sold. We're that also shot. Gonna, yeah, we're gonna need to find the guy on the grassy knoll because that sniper <laughs> clipped Dame on the back of the leg real hard, and uh, I'm surprised because I I've, I've definitely seen worse this season. Yeah, yeah. And, which is funny because this leads me to believe I have no evidence of this, but with the way Dame has been with the officials over the last couple weeks and seeing his free throw numbers go down. This is my I'm tinfoil hat is on tight. The Blazers probably sent quite a few clips of Damian Lillard being fouled to the league ref office. And teams do this all the time, by the way. So this isn't just the Blazers. But I have a reeling suspicion that was probably the case. And this was the league office letting them know we've, we've been getting your film. <laughs> <laughs> so you think the Blazers have been sending uh, clips of Damian Lillard getting fouled and it not With getting no call. called? Yeah. To the refs and the refs are, you know, reacting similar to the way they reacted to uh, Kevin Durant and uh, and (laughs) Steph Curry the other night just were like, no, we're not going to have it. I don't know. I uh, during the blazer during the game in Denver, a friend of mine texted me who was at the game watching it. And she was like, does Dame always argue and complain this much? And I said, Damien advocates for himself. <laughs> I mean, he really, he really does. Um, but they, the refs don't, I always thought the refs didn't really get frustrated with him. They just let him do his thing and then they just like moved on. But maybe you are onto something. I don't know. Steve, what do you think? Well, I, I think with, with, in reaction to Dame on that, on that game that you were at in Denver, it, it's something that Doris Burke brought up on the telecast is, when Dame reacts to a bad call, it's not this, yes, he's going to say, I disagree with your call, this is why, and yes, he might get animated, but the demonstrative acts, the signs of frustration are never directed at the referee, mm-hmm. where it's like, that's what you're seeing going on in Golden State. Mm-hmm. And and she said, and Doris said, you know, this is refreshing to see, you know, yes, he's frustrated with the call, but when he's, you know, there was one where he clutched his head, and then he, you know, throws his arms out in disgust. Mm-hmm. And and it's completely directed away from the referees, whereas, you know, we're seeing some other stars around the league do that directly into the face of a referee. Mm-hmm. So so, I mean, it, I, I think without a doubt, he's probably frustrated. And like and like Dan said, his free throw rate has gone down and he's definitely taken more contact, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just odd because, you know, after last year's, you know, consultation with the ref. The, you know, with the refs and learning better, all those guys learning better how to interact with the ref. It, it looks like Damien has taken on some of that, like where you say, like he's not directing it at, at the refs. He's showing signs of fr- frustration, but he's keeping it away, you know, from from the refs. And that's like something that he probably, I would say, probably learned, you know, where it's like it's okay to talk about stuff and clarify stuff. We want to interact with you. But we don't want you disparaging us and, you know, putting us down. I was I, I was just thinking that he, you know, 
as isn't he the team captain too? So he's the one who's supposed to go talk to him the most anyway. Yeah, it is. And I've talked about this a lot on, on outsiders the last couple of weeks. Cause it's gotten kind of out of control, but I fully expect something pretty nasty to occur between the players and refs in the playoffs, like even more impactful. So than what we saw in the, in the Warriors game, I, I think we're going to see something where like, it's not work stoppage threat level bad, but I think it's going to be pretty nasty coming in the offseason as far as the relationship between the players and the refs go. I hope not, but it just it's been toxic lately. I mean, I we are, we yeah, already feel like we're we we've, we're already at a boiling point, and yeah. like the pressure is only going to get more intense as the playoffs come. And, and I mean, you're talking about a Warriors team. I mean, I don't know. It sounds like I'm picking on the Warriors. I mean, there's other teams <laughs> that do this. Go but, ahead and pick on the Warriors. But but they're a team that's going to be doing more likely than not being participating in a very deep playoff run for a long time. And these guys are not having as much fun as they were having a few years ago. And I think the the frustration and the boiling point and it it could really get ugly. Well, we shall see. Uh, before we wrap it up, you guys were just at the Nike hoop summit practice today. Any, uh, any youngsters or high school players that uh, Portland fans who might attend the game should keep their eyes on? Steve, you, I know you got your, you know you got a couple. Um, well, I, there there's a couple guards in the in this uh, in this. So we watched the world team practice this afternoon. We watched Team USA later this week. Um, excellent guard play this year, which always makes these showcase games so much better because you get everybody involved when you have good guards. So on the world team, you have Nico Mannion, who is from Italian descent. He's committed to Arizona. And then you have Josh Green, who went to IMG Academy, uh, where Anthony Simons went. Uh, Anthony Simons was in the post-grad program. Josh, Josh Green was actually in, in the high school program there. Um, two really good guards, both are going to Arizona, super exciting. And then it, it's unreal how big some of these guys are it's at their age. Like it wasn't uncommon to see really tall guys before, but like these guys, there's a couple guys in this, they're going to participate in this that are, you know, seven feet tall and 250 pounds. Like they're grown men. Well, they're bigger NBA than athletes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kofi, yeah. Kofi Cockburn is going to register at six eleven, three hundred pounds. Yeah, and there's not a doubt in my mind, and he is a grown ass man. The, and, he, and it's not a it's not a soft 300 either. Like, no, he is, he is cut. Nice. He is one of the biggest kids I have ever seen, and you could watch these high school kids compared to him. They had never been screened by a man like this in their entire lives. They they did not know what to do with him. He he is going to be a wrecking crew at the University of Illinois, Myers Leonard's alma mater. So. And then uh, across from him in this showcase, I mean, you have another guy, Vernon Carey Jr., whose dad had a long NBA or NFL career as an offensive lineman. And Vernon with who, Carey, Steve, with with my Miami Dolphins, there it thank is. you for bringing that up. <laughs> uh, who are her openly tanking this year, um, or no, soon to be this year? Um, but he he's a monster. He looks like he could be an offensive lineman himself. He was he participated in the Les Schwab Invitational for anybody who went out and saw that. Uh, he is he's an excellent center uh, on the offensive end. He's he's still got to do a little bit of work on the defensive end. But he's going to Duke next year. He's their big uh, 
new freshmen coming there, uh, both literally and figuratively. So um, it, there, there's plenty to watch for. But the guard play should be excellent. And then most importantly of all, close to everybody's heart in Portland is uh, Cole Anthony is going to be uh, the point guard for the Team USA team. Uh, he's Greg son, Anthony's. Yeah, it's Greg Anthony's son. He was born in Portland. Um, he is uncommitted, and the Ducks are one of the finalists for uh, for his services next year. So if you're an Oregon fan, uh, I would definitely recommend going and cheering. It's it's something that these guys definitely recognize. It's something that Bull Bull talked about last year. Of, you know, he could feel the Oregon fans in the crowd, and he definitely got the warmest reception of any player that was participating last year. Good to know. As a duck, I will keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah, the Hoop Summit is, is going to be – it doesn't have the star power it did last year because of R.J. Barrett and Zion. But I think this is going to be a group that has quite a few NBA prospects from both sides where the world team has struggled kind of uh, – to put it lightly, <laughs> over the last couple of years. And I think this is actually going to have a, a world team with quite a few NBA prospects. It sounds like it could be a, a good game. Yeah, for the first time in a while. Nice. Well, that's good to know. Well, thank you for that report from the Hoop Summit. And um, despite all of the... There was kind of a pall on, I would say, on this episode about the Blazers' chances against the Jazz. Um, but hopefully people don't feel like all is lost because I don't think all is lost. I think the, I think the Blazers just, even if they, you know, don't win the series, even if it's a short series, you know, they have such a chip on their shoulder from last year. They're going to play hard throughout every single game, all the way to the end of every game. I hope so. Um, hopefully they will they will fight hard and uh, hopefully at some point we will hear again from Nurkic get a message from him or a little sign from him that he is watching or maybe he's listening uh, get well soon Yusuf take care of they're yourself. always listening Tara <laughs> always. just in case I want him to know I'm thinking about him and I appreciate you and you had an amazing year um, okay well we should wrap it up right there um, do you guys Tell folks how they can find your work. Senor Steve. Um, yeah, I'm all over Blazers Edge. You can follow me on Twitter at Steve D Hoops. Um, me and Dan are going to be doing a bunch of practices this week with Hoop Summit, and we'll be at the game on Friday. So make sure you follow us along when we uh, we'll probably have some video coming out of some of the practice stuff and what what we're allowed to put out. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> um, we will we'll just look for that. Uh, definitely, uh, as the draft approaches, that is my favorite thing in the entire world. So I, I really appreciate all the feedback I get on those articles and, and the stuff you guys send me on Twitter. So I appreciate it. All right. As always, you can find me on Blazers Outsiders pre and post game show on NBC Sports Northwest before and after every game. If you want, you can head on down for the Laker game down to Rialto, Pool Hall and Bar on 4th and Alder. Uh, Joe Shane and I are doing a live show from down there. It's the last one of the season. I think we've got something cool planned for the playoffs, but I don't know because, well, how much are people really going to be interested in the playoffs? They are, Dan. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> that one was so. That one was solely for you. I, that was that was pure troll. This is the darkest episode ever. <laughs> oh no, it's been way worse. <laughs> <laughs> this is the darkest episode I've been. A there you go. <laughs> Uh, you can find me on Twitter, everywhere else for your social media needs at DMARANG, at D M A R A N G. Tara, go ahead and take us out of here. 
I can be found at TCB Biggs. You can also follow the Hoops and Talks podcast on, let's see, at Hoops and Talks. We might be a little bit late on the episode this week because um, we usually put it out on Thursdays, but we've got a lot of stuff coming up with the playoffs and with this episode being a day late. So there will be a Women's Hoops and Talks episode coming out soon. Otherwise, just... Um, Golly, I'm at a loss for words. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So anyway, thank you so much for listening. And um, we follow us on Blazer's Edge and go to Blazer's and subscribe to the Blazer's Edge podcast feed. We will have more upbeat episodes as we we surprise everyone and crush the first round of the playoffs. How's that for ending on a high note? We are out of here.